0: Hello listeners, I would just like to apologise for my microphone in this episode, I've gone through editing, I've had to use the Discord audio rather than our local audios anyway because my microphone was worse there, but I don't know what it is, I might have been too close to it, or the Discord was, I don't know, something, it makes me sound utter trash, everyone else is fine, so if you just ignore the quality of my microphone, I promise you it gets better uh, for next episode. (laughs) Alright, thank you enjoy the episode hello welcome to Christmas Actually with Luke Allen and Lara Collier the podcast that takes a look at the Richard Curtis film Love Actually one day at a time Wednesday, the 23rd of December, actually. I'm on your host, Luke Allen. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Lara Collier.
1: Hello.
0: And our special guest for this week, Rory Elward. Hello there. And Ollie Ryder.
1: Hey.
0: So in any order, um, would you like both to briefly say who you are and what it is you do?
1: So my name is Rory Aylward. I'm a uh, producer and military technical advisor living in uh, New York City. Um, where I grew up, not far from here, and I've been working in the industry since 1988. Wow, that
0: is brilliant. And Ollie,
2: who are
1: you? <laughs> I kind of feel like I should have gone
2: first because <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Ollie Ryder. I'm a stand-up comedian, and I am part of the Sitcan podcast, where we review episodes of Friends, and also my own podcast, which is All Things Dark and Distasteful
0: brilliant and now we will we we've we've completed sitcand bingo on this show <laughs> um in having all three of you on which is great um sitcand is one of the few podcasts i stay up to date with so it's good um oh, thank you i did um even put myself through where's rodney last night to listen oh. and uh, oh the, the the sad thing is i found it way more entertaining than i should have done <laughs> like <laughs> I, I i think it, i think it I think it's better than Big Bang Theory for comedy. Um, I, th- I think it's. Uh, I'd I'd have watched more episodes of Where's Rodney,
2: uh, <laughs> if I, I would have loved to have seen where on earth where on earth it was going to go after that. Yeah, but <laughs> sadly we'll never know.
0: Because what kid actually idolizes Rodney Dangerfield, and. <laughs> What what I felt more, found more confusing was the whole thing, obviously, about... To, to all the listeners who haven't watched Where's Rodney or seen your episode on Where's Rodney, the failed sitcom pilot, then they should check that out. But one thing I found really confusing is the whole concept about it possibly being because they're both called Rodney. But that isn't Rodney Dangerfield's birth name. <laughs> oh, it, it isn't? Yeah, I can't remember what it was. I was on IMDb last night, seeing if there was anything else I'd seen Rodney Dangerfield in. And I remember his birth name really surprised me. Hang on, I'm going to double-check this. Um, I bet no one expected this episode to involve a discussion about Rodney Dangerfield. Okay, so Rodney Dangerfield is called um, Jacob Cohen. Uh... Which just kind of ruins the sitcom, all the more. But
1: Look, yeah. I, have a, I have an odd Rodney Dangerfield anecdote. Um, oh yes (laughs) when 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 i was when i was at, at university i i worked on i did concerts it was one of my day jobs and uh they had rodney dangerfield came to the campus and so i did um he did two shows and the one thing that struck me is that he always seemed like such a spontaneous guy everything in his show like he did two shows back to back they were identical like every line, every pause, every joke, every waiting for a lap, everything was exactly identical, which I which I thought was remarkable.
2: Oh my
0: goodness, Lara, I'm expecting the answer, but do you have any idea who Rodney Dangerfield is?
3: No, <laughs>
0: no, that's that's fair. A lot of people don't. <laughs> Hence what makes the sitcom even weirder, I think. Because even, even at that point, I mean, I wasn't around them, but even at that point, I feel like no one was thinking about Rodney Dangerfield.
2: <laughs> um, and it was um, optioned twice, yeah. which is really sad.
0: Oof. So um, outside of... Uh, we, we tackled our experiences with D- Rodney... D- right. So we tackled our experiences with Rodney Dangerfield. What are your experiences with this film, Love Actually? <laughs>
1: I, I love a good Rodney Dangerfield Emma Thompson transition. I think that's <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I appreciate that you picked one of the saddest moments in the film and invited me on. That's really good. Good English hospitality. <laughs> hey, we're heading into the holidays. Why don't we get you good and depressed? It's 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 very odd because it's it's like at at every level you think this film wouldn't work. Like, you know, um, like if you just analyze it as a film, people go, oh, that would never work. And yet it is, you know, become a classic, you know, for we found
0: that so many things we've we've sort of complained about and been like, oh, that doesn't work. It's like, yeah, when we watch the film in its entirety, it does. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's kind of genius how it works and it came so close to not working in the, they, they kind of, they basically re-edited the entire film because the first time they showed it, it did not work at all. Um,
1: I I can imagine, I can imagine getting all of the storylines to not only in in any kind of a narrative together, but then also figuring out exactly what to put in and what to leave out must have been an incredible juggling act in the editing room.
2: So Ollie, what's what's your experience with love actually? Um well, I remember seeing it in the cinema, which obviously ages me. Um it was how how long did we say it was, Lara? About
0: um like f- at least three months before either of us were born. So yeah.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh
2: yeah. Um and I think the thing is, as it is obviously Christmas linked, I have always likened it to like a box of quality street where there's lots of bits that you might like that other people might hate and despise. And I think it's interesting looking at it nowadays when obviously um, people are a lot more sort of um, cautious about certain you know things that they might say. Um, and I think so. And I hadn't watched it for years, but then I did read. I don't know if you've um, had this mentioned on the podcast already, but an um, uh, article by Lindy West.
0: Yes. yeah. Oh. I've read some of it. I it was a lot longer when someone sent it to me, and I was like, I need to. I'm not going to have time all now, but yes, I was sent it by you and Macintosh. and yeah. So it's a uh, yeah. It's a thing which it surprised me how popular this article seems to be.
2: <laughs> it, it, honestly, it would be one of my um, yeah. With desert island discs, they allow you to take a piece of literature. I think I would take that. <laughs> it's just. It is the most you know, it would be a one on the acidity scale of how just barbarous and rage-filled it is. And, you know, I think she does hype up a lot of it. But there are also some things that it's worth thinking about that maybe wouldn't fly in 2020.
0: Yeah, and you saying that, I feel like I'm feeling in a massive tangent mood today, reminded me of... um on two minutes about time my favorite review i have ever read for about time which absolutely slates it but i think it's a good one um so ollie ollie and um rory have either of you seen the film about time
1: yes about time i'm not sure
0: richard Curtis's film with uh donald gleason richard mcadams and time travel rom-com it's no it's that although more... i like time travel picks. Yeah, it's my favourite film. I think it's a beautiful film. But this guy definitely does not. So, rant engaged. I really hate this movie. I really effing hate this movie. I have painful, overwhelming hatred for this movie. Where to start? Honestly, I don't know where to start. Well, let's start with the dialogue. I think this is supposed to be funny in that Richard Curtis way of not being funny in the slightest. Ever since Notting Hill, it's the same... um, He has the same kind of dialogue. Bad puns, witty one-liners, and people so smug you want to punch them in their entitled little faces until you beat the funny out of them. How did the guy who once co-wrote Blackadder go on to do this unfunny, irritating drivel? Okay, I've delayed long enough. What I really hate about the movie is its message, the same message that appears in every effing movie in this effing genre for the last 20 effing years. I'm slightly PGing it here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Embrace life and live. It's that easy. Notice the little things. Live every day to the fullest. Um, live every day like it's your last. Hey, About Time, can I let you in on a secret? Life doesn't work that way. Well, thanks, About Time. Thanks for curing me of my social anxiety. Thanks for fixing my home life. Thanks for making me see that all I need to do is live and I'll be fine. It makes me so happy to know that a man who once made a, car- it was made a career of writing samey, non-threatening, romantic comedies is teaching me about living my life to the fullest. I'm so effing happy. Funny that a music movie that's so sentimental can make me feel so pessimistic. I just want to yank this movie's insincere optimism and throw it back in its face, wrapped with a big ball of cynicism. And of course, I now notice it here. I'm noticing it bloody everywhere, even in movies I liked. Instead of making me notice the little things in life w- worth living, this just makes me hate life. It didn't make me notice all the things It made me notice the th- all the things people have that I don't. Look at these people's lives. They're perfect. Nothing. Goes wrong, nothing ever effing goes wrong, oh, what's a bit awkward around other people, boo effing who, you live in a massive effing house in Cornwall next to the beach. You watch movies projected to the back wall of your effing house and then you live for London where you instantly have a place to stay with a playwright, then meet the girl of your dreams who instantly likes you, and there's no effing effort involved, in anything this guy ever effing does nothing. And if there is, it's not shown. Like, he's a lawyer. We're just told this. No build. No him trained to become one, which is hard work. He's just a lawyer. Everything is just handed to this guy on an effing platter. These are the most entitled effing people I've ever seen, and I've hated every effing one of them. Okay, I think (laughs) I'm good now. Rant disengaged. I just love revisiting it, and I get an email every couple of weeks with someone else commenting on this, and it's just lovely.
3: (laughs) Uh. Well, I mean... At least he's honest.
0: <laughs> I think we've delayed long enough, haven't we? Yes. <laughs> I think I just don't want to talk about this scene.
3: <laughs> well, I desperately want to talk about it, Luke.
2: When you sent it to me, oh I I regretted it immediately. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, that scene.
2: Um, yeah,
0: it's such a yeah. It's, it's like, like it's, it's it's one of the most Beautiful scenes in cinema. Admittedly, I love it. I think it's so well done. But also, there's a music. There's like a music shop right next. Well, like really close to my college. And whenever I walk in there, they've got that Joni Mitchell CD on a stand right up there, and it just makes me think of this every moment. And it's just <laughs> yeah.
3: Am I the only one who loves that scene? Because I can just relate to it. Well, not exactly relate to it, but relate to the crying bit.
2: Oh no, I absolutely love it. I think it's the best thing Richard Curtis has ever done. I love it, but yeah. it's kind
0: of like uh, how where do we go from here? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, good point.
0: Um incidentally, I've just realised both sides now that we hear is the last track on the album. So she just shove it in and put the last track on. <laughs> it's a bit weird.
3: Well, I mean maybe that's her favourite track. You never know. It
0: may maybe. Um or maybe she's just listening to a different track, and this is the track Richard Curtis chose the audience to hear. Who knows? Um, so so Karen says, One present only each tonight. Who's got one for Dad? And Bernie says, I have. Uh, Harry says, no, let Mommy go first. I'll get it. No, no, I want to choose mine. I think I want this one. Apparently during this scene, Richard was told by Emma... Um, do it we need to make it more Christmassy. So we just directed her saying do it again, but make it more Christmassy. Um <laughs> but one thing is in the commentary he says in the commentary he says Emma told him. I don't know whether he means Emma Thompson or his girlfriend Emma. Um mm-hmm. so it <laughs> <they> confused me. <laughs> so I was just like, I'll say both. But I'd imagine if I ask now, they won't remember. <laughs> um it was a one-off comment in the commentary from 2003. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Harry says, I have, of course, bought, sorry, he says, I have bought the traditional Scott, scarf. Why can't I speak today? I have Same. bought the traditional scarf as well, but this is my other slightly special personal one. And She says, thank you. That's a real first. And the kids shout, rip it. Um, he says, what is it? I'm going to, all right, I'll rip it. That's a surprise. And Daisy, apparently is the character's name, says, what is it? it's a CD, Joni Mitchell, wow, to continue your emotional education. And the sad thing about this is if she hadn't, if the necklace thing hadn't happened, this would have been a lovely gift.
2: Yeah. It was a nice thought through, lovely gift. I mean, even if she probably already had the CD.
0: That's what I was thinking. I was (laughs) thinking when she talked about how much she loves Joni Mitchell, I Mm -hmm. did kind of think, does she have this already? And he seemed to speak as though, he might have been joking in that scene, but he seemed to speak as though he'd like never heard her mention her love for Joni Mitchell before mm. in in that previous scene. which kind And of they're listening to another Joni Mitchell track as well, aren't they? Yeah. Um, which does remind me, Hugh Grant, incidentally, did sing a Joni Mitchell song in About a Boy.
2: Oh my goodness, so he does. I've never thought about that. Yeah, it was... Uh, Believe me softly. It,
0: yeah, it was commented on in the commentary. Um, Hugh Grant was like, "This—that's clearly where you got the idea from. You just watched me in about a boy." And, and thought, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Hugh Grant's great on the Love Actually commentary. To anyone who hasn't heard it, Hugh Grant is like really great with the banter, and his in, in, and his complete hatred for Colin Firth throughout the entire commentary is hilarious. <laughs> the commentary is Richard Curtis, Hugh Grant, Bill Nighy, and Thomas Sangster. Uh, Which is great, despite the fact that Thomas Sangster was definitely too young to be watching the film he was in.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I'd say one thing I hate about this particular moment, though, is that I I can't stand hating Alan Rickman being so slimy. Like the one time when he's been the bad guy and I've actually really not liked him. All other times, you know, I will accept him with open arms as a terrorist, as a. Mean sheriff of Nottingham and etc. etc. But this is where I draw the line.
0: Yeah, I I can see that. But we have talked a lot about the fact that you can, or at least we have found, you kind of through his affair liked him, but hate his actions is what we've said. But I kind of get your point as well as to how you can just completely hate him. Um, uh, what, What what do you get from from him in the film, Rory? Do you do you find that you you like him as a character but hate his actions or do you just despise him overall
1: <laughs> i you know i mean they're they're married for a reason you know there's there's some good in him but you know he the the and and the but the betrayal is just so complete that it's hard to reconcile you know you you know it's you know like you don't want to kill him but you definitely want to punch him in the mouth <laughs>
0: I think the way... That, I think we discussed this. The way that you get the slight relatability with him is the fact that you see Harry and Mia flirting before you find out he's married. So a yep. tiny part of you is invested in Harry and Mia's relationship before you find out how wrong it is, which mm-hmm. I think is a sort of really clever way of kind of getting the audience to, to, to feel for him a little bit, despite how horrible Mia is. She's the problem I have. Like... I dunno. Like just considering how I how I talk about relating with him and hating his actions, I, I see nothing in Mia. I would I if she if, yeah, I would punch her in the face. Definitely
3: <laughs> And the Mia Bash begins. The,
1: the Mia Bash begins. <laughs> <laughs> Cause, yeah. cause it's just not the holidays without a Mia Bash. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh the traditional scarf that Harry's bought. Um she, Jenny Mitchell CD to continue your emotional education. She says, yes, goodness, that's great. He says, my brilliant wife. This is just... mm. And Karen says, ha, huh, yes, actually, do you mind if I just absent myself for a second? All that ice cream. Uh, darling, could you make sure the kids are ready to go? I'll be back in a minute. This is actually, you know, the sadder thing about this is that they don't open their presents with their mum. No. Yeah. <sighs> I think the sad thing is, the sad thing as well is how much Harry seems to think he got away with it. I don't know why that's sad. I'm not feeling for Harry, but it's kind of like, at this point, he has no idea.
2: Mm. It's rubbed salt into the wound with the shot of her in the skimpiest of skimpy nightwear and the locket.
0: Yeah. I, I. Whilst it works, it does also kind of feel like, yeah, we know where the necklace went, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I I I think it's, yeah. yeah. What I never got is why when she spotted him around the necklace aisle, he didn't just play it safe and get one for her as well.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's that a very good make, point. It would
0: make him feel better about it, I'd think. Like, wrongfully, obviously, but it would make him feel better about the affair because at least he's got his wife a nice or better present. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't be telling Alan. Future warning she... for any
2: potential partners of Luke. <laughs> he doesn't mean it.
0: um but yeah all the all the photos and stuff that looking at while the music's playing it's just oh it's great and i always whenever you see these things in films i always do just love the idea of like that they would have had to have done a day of going out and taking photos a few of them Mm -hmm. would have been photoshopped i'd imagine but some of these probably be easier to just get actually um but yeah, it's weird that's the thing that fascinates me, but it always does with film.
2: I just think as well, I think in the hands of anybody else, and yeah, I'm more than aware that Richard Curtis can very much, you know, make something really mawkish when he wants to. But I think it's it's just the, the single camera shot for a lot of it, and just how beautifully understated Emma Thompson is. Like she's not throwing her arms about and wailing. No it's all about you know it's the depression of emotions that as a and then it's even harder to watch when she has to almost like for the kids just completely get over it
0: and i I, th- I think it's also that like she partially had her suspicions until this point but would have told herself mm-hmm. like no it's stupid that to suddenly have the realization yeah that um so how far i've asked this to everyone when we've had this um a hint of this story. How far do you think that Harry and Mia actually got with each other?
2: Now I'm more inclined to think that maybe something did happen. Yeah, it's certainly not a nice thing to dwell on, but yeah.
0: And what about you, Rory? How far do you think they got?
1: Um. A- apparently, um. From from reading in uh, background on. on oh, you've film, done
0: this. Okay. Yeah, uh, I was going to do uh, that. <laughs>
1: but, 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 well, I mean, to to me, it seemed like there had more had gone on and then later discovered that was confirmed by the um, by the writer. So because the writer wasn't um, like when they when they talked about this. Yeah. According to the director, according to Richard. Yeah. They actually had an affair. So.
0: And then I mm-hmm. don't know whether you have got to this part that he actually has then since about uh, since decided that he's changed his mind, yeah. and that it <laughs> and that it, they'd never slept together.
1: <laughs> a little post, a little post release damage control. Like <laughs> holy.
0: it was. I think wow. at one point, um, Rich and Ammo were live tweeting the whole thing. Yeah, um, and that's that's when he kind of like <laughs> he changed his mind, <laughs> which is like. <clears throat> but I, I like the fact that we don't know. I think it would have been harder to have any connection with Harry if we did actually see him go off to bed with Mia.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because yeah, the idea that it happens is not the same as knowing that it happened.
0: Mm. In a way we're in the same shoes as Karen at this point. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's sweet. But, but you fear the worst. So
0: yeah, it's, this is definitely one of the greatest scenes that Richard Curtis has, has ever done. Um, I mean, how familiar are both of you with other Richard Curtis works? Are you fans um, or tend to avoid them? Do
2: you have a very do you have a very mixed relationship with him. I've got to say, like I would say, more recently, I haven't been enjoying his films. But growing up, I loved uh, four weddings and a funeral. Um and Not- Notting Hill, um and you know, I, I know Vicar Dibley, Blackadder, and I know he had a little bit of involvement with Bridget Jones's Diary.
0: Well, he wrote the screenplay for the two films, I think.
2: Yeah, ah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah. But lately, with things like uh, About Time and uh, The Boat That Rocked, just I feel like I'm sort of betraying my Britishness by <laughs> saying that I don't like a Richard Curtis film, but yeah not just not for me
0: no i I get that completely, obviously, about time is the one I love, but I also get why people don't like it it mm. um it's it also has a lot more benefits upon rewatch about time does for example like it was what I don't know whether you've just seen it once, but like when I first watched it, it did nothing for me for some reason. I felt like watching it again, and I was like, oh, this is all right.' And then the more I watched it, it suddenly became, this is the greatest film I've ever seen, <laughs> which I do. <laughs> um, so I don't expect everyone to watch About Time five times. Uh, but yeah, uh, which apparently I have this year. I'm sure it's been more than that. But according to Letterboxd, it says I have reviewed this film five times. Um, so there we go. <laughs> uh, but
1: yeah, well, it, it, that's it how an be... FXM show works. <laughs> It, it would be fun to talk to you 10 years from now and see if you love it as much. Cause I find some movies are just very yeah. much a thing of where you are in your own life and you know, you love it then. And then you go back and go, eh, not so much.
0: Yeah, I can see that. That's I, I was going to ask Robert, my co-host at some point that I'd love to do the entire show again, 10 years from now. Yeah. I'd love to do minute by minute on the film, like just completely again, see where, how much we remember, likely a lot of those random facts about the names of extra in the background will have vanished. Um it could be good fun. But yeah, at the moment I like Richard Curtis is the sort of guy like he is who I want to be basically as a filmmaker. Uh what about you Rory? How are you are you familiar with Richard's work whatever yeah. bits of it made its way to the states?
1: I was I was introduced to Blackadder years ago and and became quite a fan of 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 Blackadder for a number of reasons, because in America they don't do good historical comedy because Americans are too dumb. So,
3: <laughs> no, disagreeing you, there.
1: You could you could you could not set like an American comedy during World War One because no one would know what you were talking about, so the thing would fail brilliantly. Um So I, I really appreciate that the, that the you know there, there's um there's another show about there's a comedy about Shakespeare. Yes, uh, which Upstart I, Crow. Yeah, it's and it's just it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant, but you know, that's you know, that's the kind of stuff we import from our smarter cousins and go, "Hey, <laughs> got anything for people who think?" Um
0: and of but, course, we, we of course we haven't mentioned Mr. Bean.
1: See, this Mr. Bean, I don't, you know, it's like, yeah, okay. I think that's like a uniquely English thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe. I think it's like it's it's traveled to a lot of countries and a lot of people like it, but I think he's definitely like a British figure like yeah, yeah. you go to any like tourist place in england and they've probably got mr bean bobbleheads for sale it's just i mean i'm I'm, I'm
1: sure i'm sure plenty of my friends like it but that's just one of those things where i think he's brilliant in black adder and mr bean is just a different style of humor that i'm kind of yeah eh.
0: i get that it was it i just remembered it was kind of I remember the weirdness of realizing that like different stages of, I mean, obviously I'm 16. There's not a ton of stages in my life, but different <laughs> stages of my life, Richard Curtis has influenced them. Like I loved Mr. Bean when I, I still love it now, but I was a major Mr. Bean super fan when I was little. So the fact that Mr., like, Richard co-created Mr. Bean and then like a massive Dr. Who fan, he, Richard wrote my favorite episode of Dr. Who. And I, oh. didn't, and it was like that realization when it was like, my favorite episode was written by my favorite writer, of course. <laughs> Who else could have written it? Um, so, yeah, it's he—he he is in my mind a genius in the sense that he makes what, whatever the wide range of stuff he's written, because there are he does a lot of drama as well as comedy and all the different levels. It always seems to fit exactly what I
1: like. <laughs> um, well, he's—he's he's able to. I mean, he's able to tap in to. Obviously, something universal because, um, I mean, there's there's a, a lot of films he's known for in the UK, but then there's stuff like Love Actually and, and Notting Hill and um, Bridget Jones, which have just transcended. I mean, Bridget Jones had underlying material, but just a lot of stuff has really tapped into something, you know, at least in the English speaking world and
0: yeah. you know,
1: made him, you know, if if not everybody knows everything he's done, everybody knows something he's done. Yes,
0: that, that's what I've been saying to people and of course outside of that is Comet Relief which is a massive charity mm. and television event every two years here Like, and he just happened to found one of the greatest and like most successful charities in Britain because he fancied a
2: girl
0: <laughs> mm. uh, Have I told any of you this story or are you aware why I Comet Relief was founded? Lara, have I mentioned this to you before?
3: Uh, well, it's not ringing any bells, so okay. you might as well tell um, it. Um,
0: so Richard Curtis, uh, there was this girl he liked, and she was talking about how she was going off to different countries to do some like charity work and stuff. And he thought, Oh, this will be perfect, I'll come with her. And he was like, You know, we'll both have to you know share a tent overnight, and you know, stuff could happen. Um, and so he, he went there, went to book the trip, and they said, "There's no point sending both of you young people to the same country. I'll send you <laughs> off to this country, and I'll send her off to that one."
3: Um, oh no! And, so there,
0: and while he was on that trip, he discovered how like horrible everything was, and he decided, "I need to put together my comedian friends and raise mm. some money." Wow. So yeah, it's I I just. I just, I just love that for Richard Curtis, everything seems to draw to like come back to love in a way. <laughs> mm. oh, uh, yeah, it's a good theme. It is, and the th- the final mention in my random tangent of Richard Curtis's work is the film that he is most proud of, but probably almost guarantee neither none of you have seen it. Is a film called The Girl in the Cafe. Huh. I think it was a t- no, it was a TV it. movie about the G8 summit starring Bill Nye and Kelly MacDonald, and it is beautiful. It's a drama with, like, oh. hints of romance, but it's more about fighting for human rights, and it's just amazing. And it was kind of like, I was like, as soon as I watched it, it was like, why has no one ever mentioned this to me before? And then I find out that it was the thing that Rich is most proud of making. So, yeah.
1: Wow. Shout
0: out to the girl in the cafe. Mm-hmm. Anyway.
1: You know, because, and, and yeah. you know, you know how hey, you know it's 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 an English film is because it's set at the G8 summit. Americans don't make films about set at the G8 summit, so.
0: <laughs> I think it was made in association with HBO. HBO, though, so It's a hint of American. <laughs> um, well,
1: it's it's, it's but, yeah. made in association, meaning, hey, you, could you write us a check? But it wasn't their idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, there's a there's a similar kind of. Sad drama about poverty that he did called Mary and Martha. Um, very, very similar themes, but it's... Oh, I cried all the way through. It starts like a sort of standard hallmark American movie, and I was like, Is this the way it's going? And then next thing I know, I've been in tears for two hours. Um, so I recommend that. I think that's got Hillary Swank in it. Uh, but it's, yeah, another, another great Richard Curtis movie. Um, so the Joni Mitchell song starts to play. And we do, we do see as we we do hear as you walk off Harry saying, "All right, take it easy," and Bernie saying, "Mine first, mine." It, I find it weird that Harry doesn't didn't say, "Okay, wait for your mum to come back before we like unwrap anymore," because they they make it like it's a big family event tradition thing. Yes. That I don't know to rush it just seems a bit odd.
1: It it is it is completely odd from a actual people living their lives point of view, but it makes complete sense from the movie's point of
0: view. Yeah, yeah. It's also completely odd. I, th- I mean, I know traditions, but I don't know anyone whose tradition is to open presents on the 23rd of December. 23rd is odd. Mm. It's, it's possibly just to do with, obviously, this film being re-edited. That I, I don't think some of these days quite line up as they would have originally intended to.
1: <laughs> yeah, that makes this sense.
0: This is probably supposed to be Christmas Eve.
1: What, what, yeah, because they... Um...
0: But the Christmas Eve title card doesn't come up until the end of this sequence.
1: It it makes perfect sense that they went back and said, you know what, the, the, the Christmas theme wor- is working for us. So let's go back and, and reimagine this as a Christmas theme movie as opposed to just have it be a background event.
0: Yeah, I, I really like it. And so this song we haven't actually mentioned is Both Sides Now by Joni Mitchell, which is the name of the album. Um, um, and that's the end of my notes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had well, more on it. That that was it. It's track well, it, twelve on the album.
1: It 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 will probably make me seem like a cultural illiterate, but I don't I don't think the Joni Mitchell version holds a candle to the Judy Collins version. So when I when I hear it, I'm like, it's a little jarring for me. It's like that's a terrible read of that song. But
0: I've only heard it in this film, so.
1: <laughs> ah, well, if you hear the the original version, which I think probably from like '67 um with Judy Collins is is completely lovely and i had trouble like uh, it, it it's actually a little jarring for me to listen to Johnny Mitchell sing it yeah it's right nice.
0: mm, i didn't even know it was a cover to be honest
1: it was what oh yeah it's absolutely a cover um although I, that's a good question as to who who wrote it i thought i have got oh, the
0: I've... actually soundtrack album on my richard curtis shelf right next to me hang on i can check the credits <laughs> I knew this shelf would come useful someday. God, um,
1: you're a visionary.
0: To to any of the listeners who want to know about the uh, the birth of the shelf, if they if they watch the um, the opening ceremony of the Move by Minute um, convention thing uh, a few months ago, there during the opening ceremony, I have to mute my mic because my dad is fitting the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> And I think he comes by and says hi because that's that's the professional way of doing virtual conventions.
1: Yeah. Um, but
0: a shout out to my dad for for fitting a shelf. Um,
1: well
0: done. Oh, it says written by Joni Mitchell.
1: Yes, yes, but but first released uh, by uh, Judy Collins.
0: Huh. I, I had no idea any of that. That is fascinating. It
1: Appeared on on the U.S. singles chart during the fall of 1968.
0: Hmm. So there is quite a story behind it, but, you know, how much her life will have changed between her writing the song and her singing it. Yeah. Yeah. Can we just talk about how great the soundtrack is for this film? (laughs) We can.
1: I believe you're the host. You can, in fact. Yeah, good idea.
0: Good point. (laughs) Um, This soundtrack is great, isn't it? Glad we all agree. (laughs)
3: Sorry, sorry, I got distracted. But yes, it's a very good soundtrack. And I love the fact that in London they have like the live orchestra thing, because that I is one of the best so, experiences ever.
0: Yeah, I so want to go to the live orchestra thing. Uh, they normally tour every year, but it's only London this year. So next year, I'm going to try and go to the Love Actually orchestra screening. Although, technically, Lara, to be finicky on a film show, gore, not a soundtrack. Yeah. I made that mistake in the credits of my own film. So now I'm (laughs) spotting it in the fact that I credited our score composer as soundtrack composer and it's not. And yeah, that's a thing that I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life. (laughs) People coming up to me and saying, you credited that role. Although no one did, but I feel it.
1: That's the albatross (sighs) around your neck, my friend.
0: (laughs) I have never heard that figure of speech. I
3: don't think anyone British has
0: No, you say that and I just remember the Monty Python sketch with John Cleese (laughs) holding the albatross
2: (laughs) Uh, It's it's from the poem Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner Yes
0: Uh, I don't know what else to say to that
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's very long, but to sum it up basically, um, it's a ship, they're sort of stranded, and uh, it's all going very, very wrong. Uh, they shoot an albatross, and pe- one person shoots an albatross, and they're not very happy with him for doing that, so they tie the albatross around his neck. He has to, like, wear his shame.
1: Because uh, killing an albatross is considered, like, like bad luck. So, they blame him.
0: Oh, well, yeah. We we don't, uh... And that, that, that's the story of why we don't have albatross. Uh, but no, it's... It is a long poem, isn't it? Oh, flipping heck! I'm just looking at it now. <laughs> yeah, you
1: know, it, it, it's from a time when people didn't have much to do. So that is how. Um, I, think, I think. I think you'll
3: find. Right, we are in a time where people don't have much to do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Touche, Lara. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe.
0: Well, yeah, maybe, maybe poetry was then what the whole "Move One Minute" community
1: is now. It, it's exactly. <laughs> maybe. Um, but, but, But uh, but I think that Lara, this is now like you know you're out of excuses for not reading this. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh yeah, you you you, I'm I'm quizzing you on this next episode. (laughs) 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 No, love actually, this lovely sweetened laughter-inducing moments. Um, Oh
3: yeah. uh,
0: So Karen comes down and shouts, "It's a miracle! You're all dressed. Come on, come on, come on! We're horribly late. Come on, then, in the car, in the car. Where do we think she's going? Because if this was Christmas lights. Yeah, because I feel like maybe how this w- when this scene was originally intended in terms of how it would fit in better would be just before the um the the Christmas play on Christmas Eve.
3: Yeah, that's what I thought. that's how I, realized... I picture. It, but then,
0: yeah, this is before Christmas Eve.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. And then I realised, hang, hang about, that's before Christmas Eve. That's before any of this happens. So why? Yeah, oh, I don't know, maybe...
0: Because it would make sense with the presents as well, with the unwrapping yeah. one present before they go on Christmas Eve.
3: Yeah, It would make like... perfect
0: sense, because that, that is they... a Christmas Eve tradition that some people have.
3: Yeah, exactly. i never had that tradition. My parents made me wait because they were evil, but you know.
0: I always got going? new pyjamas on Christmas Eve. I don't know why that was a thing, but that was a thing. And I, I can't remember if it's still a thing. Uh, I guess I'll find out.
3: I mean, first.
2: Maybe, though, um, they were actually going there. Because, I mean, to be fair, that third lobster costume did look like it would take a while to put on.
0: <laughs> just to the night before. True. Actually, it could be a dress rehearsal.
3: Oh, yes. Yeah, it that's... could be. That,
2: that's
0: our canon now.
2: It's a dress <laughs> rehearsal. I just wanted to say as well, quickly, um, one thing that happens quite a lot on the sitcom podcast is I tend to be spotting weird things in the background. Yes. What have you found? And with, <laughs> with this, I noticed what looked like two sort of portraits of a demonic set of teeth, it's like black and then a white or white teeth-looking things that was horrifying. And then above the sofa, there's this weird sort of um cloth shroud thing that looks like a game of Tetris gone horribly wrong. It is very it. strange. And, yeah,
0: where where are so the teeth? Odd.
2: So they're sort of right at the back, to the right of the tree. There's one that's oh, like, yeah, As
0: weird. Do they just are they just a family that like abstract arts? <laughs> it's just such. <so> tr- <laughs> it's the concept of Karen or Harry going out seeing that for sale in like I don't know where, where would they go shopping? M&S or yeah. something. Hmm. seeing that for sale at like M&S home. If there is an M and S home, there's an X home. I don't know. In a shop that sells stuff, um, like most shops do, um, and <laughs> they'd, they, they, and they'd be like, well, "That's what we need to put by our Christmas tree." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> or even the concept of the set decorator, like <laughs> the universe of making this film, going, "I need to get my hands on that orange picture with the teeth." Yeah. I need to find out who the set decorator is on this film. For about time, it was a woman called Liz Griffiths, who's a a really nice person. Shout out to Liz Griffiths. Um, I've no idea who it is for this. Someone called Caroline Smith.
1: Who's the set decorator on Love Actually?
0: Yeah. She also worked on Christopher Robin, Florence Foster Jenkins, Johnny English Reborn.
1: Who's the production designer?
0: That is another good point. Let's go check. Jim Clay, I did know that Jim Clay. I remember his credit on screen now. At the start, uh, he did *Children of Men*. He did *Matchpoint*, *Murder in the Orient Express*. He did. Yeah, Johnny English. I feel like quite often yeah, the production designer and the um, set decorator tend to work together a lot, don't they?
1: Well, the, the production designer is the designs the look of the entire picture. They're usually like the first person hired, even before like the DP or anything like that. So the production designer would have a crew, meaning people that they bring with them yeah. on each project. So, yeah.
0: I remember Liz and JP for about time mentioning that briefly. Oh, and the production designer also worked on Maybe Baby, which is a actually pretty good um, comedy from 2000. Not as good as the book. And the title's not as good as the book either. Uh, <laughs> are, either of you, are any of you familiar with Maybe Baby?
2: No. Nope. Yes, I have seen it a very, very long time ago, though.
0: So, I, do, you, do you know what the book was called—the the original Ben Elton book—which is so much better than maybe they. No. Oh. Okay, so to those who don't know, it's about a couple that are trying to conceive a child but are unable, and it's about them like going through different stages of working out how to have a child. Uh, the original book was called Inconceivable, which is such a good title.
2: Hey. And for some reason,
0: <laughs> and for some reason, whoever was working on the film let's call it baby just so mm. we can play that one paul mccartney song in the film oh wow which is a fine song but still i don't think it was paul mccartney originally But paul mccartney sings it in the i don't know um but it was just kind of like oh inconceivable such a good title and the book is hilarious um so shout out to ben elton not that he needs a shout out but shout out to ben elton who wrote the book <laughs> <laughs> And incidentally, also wrote Upstart Crow and co-wrote Blackadder, so we have been mentioning his work today. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so, are we ready to move on to Daniel and Sam?
2: Yep. Yes.
0: So Daniel says, "Has she? Has she?" I'll start again. So Daniel says, "Has she noticed you yet?" Sam says, "No." Nope. But you know the thing about romance is people only get together right at the very end. Of course. By the way. I feel bad I never asked you about your love. Uh, ba- By the way, I feel bad I never asked you about how your life. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going to have to keep this all in, I think. Uh, um, right. By the way, I feel bad I never asked you how your love life's going. And Daniel says, Ha, no, as you know, that was a done deal long ago. Unless, of course, Claudia Schiffer calls. In which case, I want you out of this house straight away, you wee motherless mongrel. Uh, little little cruel, really, considering the circumstances. <laughs> uh, mother died literally like four weeks ago. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you wee motherless mongrel. It's
0: a good line, though. It's, it's line.
3: great, but it's cruel. And that's why I love it even more.
0: Yeah. So this was done all in one shot. Uh, this exactly. helps exchange. Um, mostly because they ran out of time the day. <laughs> Could only film it once. Um, oh, there was a tiny bit more dialogue. Sam says, Oh, and Dennis says, No, no, I want to have sex in every room, including yours.
3: <laughs> who says that to however old he is? Who, who says, says that, that to this kid? No, who says that to a kid in <laughs> general?
0: Yeah, but I feel like specifically, as I know he's a stepdad, but specifically as his. Like, I assume legal son. That's yeah. a bit weird, isn't it?
3: It's it's funny, it's I have weird. to admit. But like, who the? F- who I mean, admittedly, that?
0: admittedly, I don't know that what these circumstances would be like. And I'd imagine, you know, it's kind of a a position he's he's used to in a way because okay. of how his dad's kind of a mate to him at this point.
1: I don't I, know. I could see you you might say that to your son if he was like twenty one. Yeah. But... I I don't imagine saying it to a kid that age ever.
0: No, the only excuse for it, which is a very loose excuse, is that the kids had to become an adult in a way because of losing his mum. That yeah, he's being treated like an the adult. Weakest adult the
3: weakest excuse I've ever heard.
0: Try and come up with a stronger
1: one then. I don't
3: want to. I don't want to make it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I you know I I I prefer Liam Neeson when he's like killing sex traffickers in albania
0: yeah, yeah. and then not getting oh, arrested uh, at any point at any point which, yeah
1: which keep... is which is a movie that's two hours long of not feeling even slightly bad about people being murdered it's like, yeah, yeah, it's, but... only, it's only
0: kind of after you come out of it that you think hang on to save one person because he kind of he kind of leaves the other victims of sex trafficking behind as well he literally goes through all of these rooms with these dying people and is like, oh, you're not my daughter, I'll go to the next one.
1: Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I only saw taking for the first time like a few weeks ago, so it's very fresh on my mind, but they- these were the things I was thinking as soon as the film finished it was like,
1: hang on. <laughs> what about those people? Yeah.
2: I mainly prefer him when he's um, made of plastic and has two faces. <laughs>
0: That yeah, that, that works too. I, I my, my favourite Liam Neeson thing is his scene in Life's Too Short. Have either of you seen that?
1: No. N- no.
0: So in Ricky Gervais' sitcom Life's Too Short, which is starring Warwick Davis, which is not a good show by any stretch of the imagination, there is a scene where Liam Neeson as himself turns up and um says he wants to try stand up comedy. It's such a a great, hilarious scene. The, the the scenes with celebrities in Life Too Short are the best moments. Kind of like he did with extras, where like having celebrities play satirised version of themselves are brilliant. Um, and there's there's another line he says briefly, where he says, "I've written a list of the type of, of the type of comedy I want to do." And he says, "I'm very good at writing lists. I think that's why Spielberg cast me in Sh- as Oscar Schindler in Schindler's List. <laughs> it's just so such a strange scene, but it's it's such. A, I, I will." Link that to all of you later, um, but there's 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 also a great scene in the show where um, he's to, like Ricky Gervais talking to Johnny Depp, and he and he's like I got this new I got this new film I'm doing with Tim Burton. He's like, guess who my leading lady is? And he's like, is it the Bonham Carter? He's like, what? You've read the script already? <laughs> 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 it's, oh, it's it's uh, yeah, it's a yeah it's 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 a very weak show with a few good moments. Um, Fair. So I wouldn't recommend watching it, but I would recommend watching clips from it. Um, so yeah, I mean, what what do you, Rory and Ollie, think of the whole scene? Uh, well, the whole story with Daniel and Sam, because for me, it's my favourite story in the film.
1: It's very charming. His, um, you know, his uh, talking to the kid like he's a like a mate is kind of odd, but you know, it's it's. I mean, it's a, it's a and it's a, it's an adorable storyline.
0: Yeah. And it's one of them. I haven't done it with the others yet. I know I need to. Um, that I have. I've cut the entire story out of the film and made a short film just out of their story, and oh. it stands alone on its own really well. Stories won't stand on their own as well as that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. It's, it's That's very what you do when you've got it. too much time: is just re-edit <laughs> films.
1: <laughs> it's it's very likable, and it and it has none of the uh, none of, none of the baggage that the Alan Rickman. Story has, for instance,
0: for the. Now, I think I think these two stories we see today are the two strongest stories. Yes. For me, the weakest story is Sarah and Carl, Laura Linney's story. not I, yeah. can't, I, mm. I I'm just not a fan. I I yeah. couldn't tell you one fact about Carl. Uh,
2: <laughs> like he is, basically, he is good-looking man, and that's it.
0: In a way, it's refreshing to have an. Male character rather than under a female character, but when mm. that's the only thing you've got going for you, it's mm. it's not a yeah. I, all, all all I would have needed to like Sarah and Carl's story is a little scene with them either going out for a meal or walking and talking or something before mm. we then have the sex scene because we don't see anything other than them dancing and then them having sex. Like we don't get any chemistry between them, really. That it's just. Yeah, it feels a little too weak for me, so I'm kind of relieved that we were done with that story episodes ago. Like that, that their story wrapped up very early on in the film.
2: I have to say, my favourite story in the whole thing, and it, it's not a popular one, um, from what I'm led to believe, is um, Martin Freeman and. Um, I, no,
0: I can see that. They'd... I, I re-watched just rewatched it. The I rewatched Love Actually as part of a Richard Curtis rewatch, like a couple of weeks ago. And I was surprised as to how invested I was
2: in that story. I was like, I did not think I'd like this story so much. I mean, like, the sort of the nudity aside and everything. I just think it's the most adorable out of all of them.
0: It's also the most healthy relationship in the film. Yes. (laughs) Like, no one's anyone's boss. (laughs) Like, it's... um, Yeah, I, I like it. And weirdly, last episode, I really liked Chris Marshall's about going to america (laughs) i didn't think i would because it was definitely problematic but when we were watching it like i was just smiling the whole way through i was like so weirdly charming because you you spend the entire thing thinking he's going to fail that the fact he succeeds is actually kind of (laughs) sweet
3: no it's just charming because it's chris marshall
0: as we've said before yeah put chris marshall's lines into the mouth of sean williams scott (laughs) and it's a different movie
3: how many times have we bloody said that
0: I've run out of things to say. And the good thing about having different guests on each episode is I can say the same thing every episode and Very they haven't heard it. So have we got any other comments, I guess, <laughs> on, nope. on the film? <laughs> I, know been doing I mean,
2: yeah. I I would just say personally that I was joking a little bit earlier when I said that, oh, goodness, this scene, I regret it. But it is, as I said, I think it's genuinely the best thing that Richard Curtis has ever filmed and it's you know Emma Thompson is just one of the greatest actors ever and yeah. it, this sums it up perfectly
0: I remember hearing that like take after take after take she'd just do this which is incredible Um yeah it's it's a beautiful scene I don't know I can't off the top of my head think of a scene of a Richard Curtis film that's better than this I could think of a Richard Curtis, several Richard Curtis films that are better than this film, but Mm -hmm. this scene in itself, I think, is quite possibly, yeah, better than at least the majority of other Richard Curtis film stuff, especially for emotion's sake.
1: Uh, It's nice that they got Emma Thompson and they actually gave her something to do, you know, because you see a lot mm -hmm. of films like this where there's a lot of people in it and there's not enough drama to go around. So it was nice to see her getting something that she could really sink her teeth into and and make an impression.
0: Interesting fact about Emma Thompson is her feature film debut was a Richard Curtis movie.
1: Ah, lovely.
0: Film called the tall guy. It's a, it's a good film, the tall guy, but it's, it it goes a lot more into kind of surrealist comedy in places than other Richard Curtis films. Yeah. So I guess, unless there's any other comments on all the tangents we've had today. um, Mm. Now I'm trying to think if there's a weird way we can loop it all back to Rodney Dangerfield, but, I'm, I don't. I can't think of any reason. No way. How?
2: Um, well, Alan, Alan Rickman just just showing her no respect. <laughs> that, 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 that's the best still, you're gonna get yeah, at half past eight on a Monday.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I can't think of anything to say. Um, so, in in any order, you know, pr- promote your stuff. Plug everything you'd like to plug.
1: Sure, I'm at Major Hawk one nine six two on Twitter.
0: Have you got? Have you got a film, Rory, particularly that you're most proud of being involved in?
1: Um, I, I, uh, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Hallmark movies, and, and 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 years ago, in in 2002, in fact, I actually produced a Christmas drama for Hallmark. That
0: what did I, I say actually... about Hallmark movies? Please don't say it was really bad. I can't remember what I said. <laughs>
1: No, no, it's it's a, a lot of them are. This I, I'd like to think this one isn't.
0: Um, in all fairness, it, we hardly get any of them here in the UK. <laughs> what? Like we don't really get Hallmark movies here anyway. Yeah, I've only seen
1: a few. Yeah. No, this this was actually it's a uh, it's a Christmas drama based on a a, uh, a true incident in World War II that happened during the Battle of the Bulge when there was this small truce uh, between some American and German soldiers, um in the in the vein of not not exactly in the vein of the, the famous nineteen fourteen Christmas truce. But uh it's it's a story that's a little bit known in the United States. So we were able to turn it into a film and uh Hallmark liked it. So yeah what, what was that film called? It's called Silent Night, starred uh, Linda Hamilton.
3: Uh-huh. Alexander Hamilton. Sorry,
0: I've got a bit of musical theatre fever. I like, I like how with the I, I, I was just genuinely impressed at Linda Hamilton, and just went straight to a different Hamilton.
2: <laughs>
3: <I'm> sorry, <laughs> I am so sorry, musical theatre nerd.
2: All I've got in my head now is somehow reworking Hamilton into the Terminator.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because as long as you're traveling through time, why not? So.
0: Oh, I see. The writer as your surname was it a relative then?
1: That's my brother. The
0: film, your brother. Uh, that makes sense. There we go. I will see if that's viewable anywhere in the UK because it does sound interesting, and it's got pretty good reviews on IMDb, so that's great.
1: Yeah, I was. I mean, it. It. Um. It's. I. I tell you, there's a certain satisfaction in like making something, and like years later, people are still looking at it and commenting on it and thinking you did good. So.
0: Yeah. That. 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 Must be great. So, Ollie, plug yes. anything you'd like to plug?
2: Um, well, obviously, stand up's a bit of a non starter at the minute, but I do have my <laughs> own um, stand up page on Facebook, just Ollie Ryder stand up. And uh, my main thing that I do is Sick Hand with my best friends, Eddie O'Keefe and Emma Bashforth. It's where we review episodes of Friends, episode by episode. Um, I can't stand Friends, they both like it um we've just started season three now and uh, at some point we're going to be looking at other sitcoms as well like How I Met Your Mother is the next one we're scheduled to do.
0: What's that like four uh, years from now?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well I'm trying to push for us to take a bit of a break from friends because I need it and (laughs) um and do that but uh, and the other thing that I do as well I'm I've done some episodes for it but Um, All Things Dark and Distasteful is sort of like my passion project where I just talk about creepy things from um, cults to horror films and things like that. Um, Real life in the UK is, um, you know, it's almost dark and distasteful enough as it is already. And I don't have as much time as I would like to um, contribute towards it. But hopefully sort of in the new year, I'll try and be a bit more strict with myself to actually get on with it.
0: Yeah, and you've got Twitter as well, haven't you, and all that? I do. Uh,
2: It's um, at SitCand. Um, DarkDistaceful is um, at Dad, at A-T-D-A-D. And uh, I think mine is still uh, Grim, with two M's, underscore F, underscore F. I really need to change, because that was my thing from when I was a film reviewer.
0: Lyra, where can the listeners find you on social media?
3: Uh, well, you can find me on Instagram, Laura Collier underscore official. You can also find me on Facebook, Laura Collier Music. You can get my song Moving On, which was in the short film that Luke directed, Unstable, on Spotify, i iTunes, Amazon Music, All That Jazz. You can also find it on YouTube, on Luke's YouTube channel, Boslo Productions, where there are two of my music videos, Moving On and The Happy Song, Venture If You Dare. And then I have my own YouTube channel where I have two videos on there. Um, uh, I do an original song called A Thousand and I, I do a cover of Burn from Hamilton. So yeah.
0: I love how your plugs include my plugs.
3: I know, right? <laughs> it's, it's
0: great. <laughs> um, so the listeners can find me on Twitter at llama underscore bottle zero on Instagram. The G- Luke on facebook at luke allen film all podcasts radio appearances newspaper articles short films anything i'm remotely involved in is over at luke UK. this shows on facebook twitter and instagram at christmas act pod and they can also find us on imdb thanks so much for listening listeners Lara and i will be back hopefully with a plethora of guests depending on how on earth schedules work uh tomorrow to the listeners um uh, Everything that hasn't happened in the film that you remember happens. <laughs> um, yeah, fun. I normally say what happens, but let's skim read this. Let's, let's spam through this. You're going to hear from us tomorrow when Billy Mack is number one. Martin Freeman and Joanna Page are at the doorstep. Colin Firth arrives home and then. Just after Aurelia. Laura Lenny and Carl are awkward in the office. The Prime Minister opens Christmas cards. Liam Neeson tries to speak to Sam, but he's practicing. Laura Lenny sees her brother, Keira Knightley, cards soon. Bill Murray tells his manager he loves him. Prime Minister opens a card from Natalie and decides to track her down and eventually finds her and decides to come to a school play. Colin Firth travels to meet Aurelia. Prime Minister sees his sister at the concert. The concert happens. The Prime Minister and Natalie are kissing and revealed in front of everyone. Emma Thompson is a potential affair. Liam Neeson tells Sam to tell Joanna he loves her and Liam Neeson meets the woman of his own who's played by claudia Schiffer. colin firth meets aurelia's family and searches for her woman Atkinson and security up so sam can chase after joanna buddy mac sings naked on tv sam speaks to joanna colin firth rose to aurelia and says yes and the family will kiss him uh so
2: breathe
0: yeah that is what we have (laughs) tomorrow (laughs) we're
1: gonna die
0: yeah the the listeners um you can see in my notes that when i was writing my notes i didn't know the character names and just listed the actors i know them now but when i did my notes the first yeah so that would be, be
3: a long episode
0: especially with many guests it'll be a long ah! one it'll be a front one um i was going to say what if we do a commentary on that point but that doesn't work either because then the viewers wouldn't know exactly the point to start oh, we'll figure out something yeah. listeners
3: Christmas Actually theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. Christmas Actually is produced by Bottolo Productions and is distributed by Lemming Drops Studio. For more podcasts and blogs, visit lemmingdrops.com.